Hi, this is Chuck Gunderson. I'm the author of the new book, Some Fun Tonight, the backstage story of how the Beatles rocked America, the historic tours of 1964 to 1966. And you're listening to Things We Said Today. Hello, hello, and welcome to a Beatles program, a podcast show, which is called Things We Said Today. This is a talk show in which we talk about anything and everything that has to do with the Beatles, their past, the present, sometimes even the future, their music, their history, whatever comes to mind, we cover it here on the show. I'm Ken Michaels. I'm one of the three regular co-hosts of this show, and hopefully you know me from my other Beatles program, a syndicated radio show called Every Little Thing. Being joined by my two other regulars, first of all, the man who wrote uh, a couple of Beatle books, including The Beatles, From the Cavern to the Rooftop, and more recently, Got That Something, How the Beatles, I Wanted, Hold Your Hand, Changed Everything. And for many years, he manned the desk at the New York Times. He was their Beatle guy and classical guy. And he writes, uh, he freelances for another, a number of publications today, and that is Alan Cozen. Hi, Alan. Hello, Ken. How's it going? Very good. How about you? Great. How's by you? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be spring. <laughs> it's it already, to it, feel it, like it. It already is. Baseball season has started, mm-hmm. or close to it. Mm-hmm. It might as well be spring. Yep. And our other uh, co-host is the leading newsman and has been so in the Beatle world for several decades from the Abbey Road website and uh, more recently with AXS.com with uh, writing for Billboard, Variety, Goldmine, you name it. He's all over the place. And uh, he is also the author of Meet a Monkey, Davy Jones. And that's Steve Marinucci. Hi, Steve. Hello, Ken. Hello, everyone. On today's show, we're going to be doing uh, another show on George Harrison, a bit of a tribute show, as we did last week. And we're going to be discussing our five favorite solo George Harrison songs. And um, these are all songs that are not hit records for George. We're going to be doing that a little bit later on. But uh, if we have news to cover, we always try to do that at the beginning of the show. And we have several major news items to talk about. First of all, last week, Ringo Starr was officially knighted. And uh, I don't know if you saw the coverage of this. This was all over the Internet. It was wonderful to watch. But you got to see Ringo kneel in front of Prince William and uh, William extending the sword and doing the ceremony. And... um, Anyone want to comment about Ringo finally getting knighted? How about you, first of all, Alan? Um, I thought, you know, it was a great clip. I'm I'm glad that we got to see the full clip of the investiture and, uh, you know, Ringo chatting with him a bit at the end and and then the interviews outside the palace um, Mm -hmm. where he mentioned that that Prince William is a a big Beatle fan. I mean, let's face it, who isn't, you know? Um, (laughs) But uh, I, I, I thought it was I thought it was great. I mean, all four of them deserve to be knighted, and um, you know you can you obviously can't get a knighthood posthumously, which is a pity. But um, so the two living Beatles are are both knights, and uh, I, thought, I think that's great. And the and the, I really enjoyed watching those clips too. Mm. How about you, Steve? Well, I liked his conversation after you know the interview he did uh, with the BBC, where he said he was he was a little nervous and and uh, typical Ringo comment that uh, they asked him what he was going to do with the medal, and he said I'm going to wear it to breakfast. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was really it was really nice to see this, and and it is kind of sad that the other two can't get one. It, it's too bad. I mean, it's it's interesting to think had they both been around, you know, what would have happened? It, um, I think George would have been fine with it. It would have been John's reaction that would have been would have been interesting. But I think John would have would have taken it in, in stride. I think he would have been fine with it too. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's great. It's, it's a great honor for them and it's well-deserved and it's, you know, it's, it should have happened years ago and why, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting that they waited so long and especially this year, what triggered it, you know, why this year? I don't know. You know, I can't, I was trying to think about that. I mean, he, you know, it was a typical year for Ringo. I mean, outside of releasing a record, you know, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm it, glad, that it, it, glad that it finally it, happened. It, it dawned on someone that it doesn't make sense for Andrew Lloyd Webber to be a knight and one of the remaining <laughs> Beatles not to be a knight. You know, what's wrong right. with this picture? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, and look at who else has been knighted through the years. I mean, not not trying to, to put down any of those guys that have been knighted, but, you know, there have been some... There have been people that have been knighted. I mean, Van Morrison was knighted last year before Ringo. Why mm. that? You mean again, not to put Van Morrison down, and not to put Ray Davies down, and not to put Tom Jones down. But it just—you're right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know. So you would think that a Beatle would come first. Not that these other people don't deserve it. And the same thing can apply to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame too. There's a lot of people that get inducted whose career started much later than Ringo or any of the Beatles that have gotten in before them. And we're generally you know, less so. important, too. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's and it, I mean, it, it, he's deserving of that kind of respect. And I'm glad to see him getting it. And for one uh, and he was, too. And that's really nice. That's really nice. So, yeah, I also have this quote from Ringo when he was asked if he wants to be known as Sir Ringo or I guess Sir Richard. I don't know yet. It's new, and I don't know how you use it properly. <laughs> That's what I like about him. He's just so brutally honest, you know. He just says what comes to mind. But, um, yeah, it's nice to see Ringo get this. And unlike you, Alan, I do think Andrew Lloyd Webber deserves it. Okay. <laughs> hmm. You just have a problem with him for some reason, but anyway. Yeah, I do. <laughs> this stuff is unbearable. <laughs> for that, you. That problem. Hmm. It's a lot of people who love his music, mm-hmm. and the musicals have lasted for a long time on Broadway and different parts of the world. So anyway, the other big news about Ringo is that he has announced dates in the United States with his all-star band. And in case you missed all the news recently, it was announced uh, uh, not that long ago that um, Graham Goldman from 10CC was, is, uh, has been added to the all-star lineup as has Colin Hay from Men at Work, who was with the All-Stars before that. But um, those are two new additions. Todd Rundgren is out. Richard Page from Mr. Mister is out. But there are 20 dates in the United States for uh, Ringo. This is after he plays in Europe, and it's going to run from September 1st through September 29th. There's also a, an, a date in Atlantic City in right. June, June, I believe. So there's actually... Uh, there's one. There's one more date. Uh, I mean, the the 20 dates he announced are are actually kind of a second string. But he's got the. Uh, he's already announced the one date in Atlantic City, which is was kind of weird the way they did that. Yeah. But in in it's any actually event, actually June second, June second, and mm-hmm. it's at the Borgata Casino Event Center. Mm-hmm. So how many, that's how many actually, you, that, that's a whole. There's a whole bunch near you. There's only one near me. <laughs> So, and I, I don't know how many I'm going to, but I know one thing. With all of these final tours being announced from Elton John and Paul Simon, mm-hmm. I had just gotten Paul Simon tickets for September 15th mm-hmm. in New Jersey. And September 15th, it was just announced, Ringo is playing at the Oakdale Theater in Wallingford, Connecticut, <laughs> which is about 15 minutes away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like... What am I going to do? You know, I may actually, because he's playing Radio City Music Hall, I'm probably going to go there. Not only because it's Ringo, but that's such a great venue to see anybody, Mm -hmm. Radio City. So I'm probably definitely going to go there, but I don't know what I'm going to do if I'm going to try to get different Paul Simon tickets so I could see Ringo in Connecticut. So, Hmm. whatever. I may actually drive to Boston to see him. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I like seeing former members of the Beatles in cities that don't have professional baseball teams. Oh. <laughs> Maybe um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. They're sort of the Andrew Lloyd Webber of baseball. Yes, that's right. You, you just, you just wait, Alan. You just wait. 
Ah, so (laughs) I think, you know, actually, I think the uh, government should investigate the fact that Derek Jeter uh, let uh, or traded uh, traded or uh, was able to arrange that deal with the Yankees. I think there's something something really bad that happened there. I think there's a conspiracy or something. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our new our new Beatles and baseball show is really, uh... really. really. So another major news item, as everyone knows, this past Saturday on March 24th was a big day in the U.S. and also around the world, too. Uh, There were millions of people that uh, protested in the March for Our Lives uh, to end gun violence. And I'm sure everybody saw online Paul McCartney was in New York City with his wife, Nancy. And in fact, he was right near the Dakota Mm -hmm. and um, just showing his support for the march. He wore a shirt that read, we can end gun violence. And he was quoted as saying, as you know, one of my best friends was shot not far from here. It is important to me. Right. Really nice of Paul to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Guys want to comment? Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great when I saw that. I mean, um, I have a friend who put a message on Facebook saying, well, Paul just has to get his headline, doesn't he? Which I thought, you know, how cynical do we have to be? I mean, the fact is someone like that going into a public march like this is actually putting himself possibly at some peril, you know, and especially yes. he's he's not far from the Dakota where John was shot, as, as he alluded to in his statement. And I think, you know, to come out and, you know, and join the protest and actually do something and, and also be... Uh, you know, the more celebrities that are in this, obviously the, the, the news media is going to sort of focus on the celebrities if they can find them. And that sort of, you know, lends a name, it lends credibility for whoever, you know, admires that celebrity. And, uh, you know, but I think also, of course, I, I, I really think he believes in this. And, uh, and I, I just thought it was great for him to turn up. Right. He's only going to be involved with something he truly believes in. Yeah. He decides how he spends his time, and evidently this was important enough for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve? I I think the one thing that needs to be said here is that the focus was really on the young people. And Paul was one of the few adults. And there were, I mean, there were a whole lot of adult celebrities that I could have thought of that would have been associated with this would it would, would have liked to have been associated with this whose names you did not hear and i know that uh, george clooney i guess was asked to to say something and they and he turned it down and i i have to admit i didn't see the the coverage on all the on all cities uh, I, I didn't see uh, for example uh, one person i thought might be involved and i don't know that she was is uh, was joan baez but I mean, the fact is that the focus was on the kids, and that was what made the whole thing so powerful. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's what, and that's interestingly enough, what the critic, what the people who are who are who, are, uh, who have been critical of this whole thing, have been focusing on. They've been focusing on the kids, and but that's what made it so powerful is that the kids did it. You know, even if you want to talk about, well, they had a little help. Well. Damn it! Sure, they did, but I mean, they—it was they, they organized it. They and the speeches were all by the kids, and some of those speeches were just uh, were just amazing, whether you agree with it or not. Very so, emotional, yeah. right? So, no, and and but Paul, especially going out, doing it where exactly where he was, you know, cl- as close to the Dakota as he was. I mean, that was. That was pretty, uh, pretty astonishing. That was pretty good to see. And yeah, I think that I think the New York March actually started in Strawberry Fields, and there are pictures of Paul later that show him in Midtown. So you know, he apparently actually did march, not just turn up. One thing that um, no one appears to have asked him, at least in the stories that I read, is, well, you know, you're here near the Dakota. Do you pop in and see Yoko? How's she doing? Anything like that? There were there were no references to Yoko at all. Right. I noticed that, too. Um, and so that's kind of interesting. And of course, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was probably an emotional thing for her, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I do like the fact, as you said, Steve, that the media really focused on the kids. 
-hmm. And the kids deserve all the credit for this because they're the ones that started this whole movement. And, um, you know, they are the voice of the future. And this just goes to show how much an important issue it is for them. So, um, yeah, all the credit going to the kids. Okay. Also, I know you have some information, Steve, about that uh, auction of photographs we were talking about last week. Right. The uh, Mike Mitchell's photographs uh, from the Washington Coliseum uh, sold over the weekend for $357,000, which, and that includes negatives and copyright. And I was kind of actually surprised that it was that, that uh, they didn't go a lot higher than that. But it's a 253, 200 pounds, which figured out to 357.52. Um, Do you know who bought it? Did Apple buy it? I don't know. I did not see the uh, the story I saw in the Guardian. Did not say who. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. And a lot of those photos, like I said, had not been had not been seen before. So, so yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Seems like a really high price to me. Um, I mean, if it's a Coliseum, obviously, you know, there are shots people haven't seen. But fundamentally, the entire Coliseum concert is out there for people to take frames of if they want a picture of the of the Beatles at the Coliseum. So but these are these are portraits and they're not just they're not just screen captures from the from that film. I know, and there were four. There were four hundred and thirteen photos. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a, that. This was a quite, unique, quite a unique collection. So that's mm-hmm. almost a thousand dollars per photo. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. So that's a lot. I just hope they get uh, exposed out there. The ones that we haven't seen. I hope so too. I hope whoever bought them makes good, good use of them. Mm. So, okay. Uh, We also have news about Julian Lennon. As you may know, last year he put out a children's book, which was called Touch the Earth. And it's all about uh, teaching children about the importance of um, saving the environment and and loving our planet and protecting it. And um, the second book, this is, is, um, he's got a trilogy of books that he's planned. The second one is coming out. In a week, I believe it's called Heal the Earth. But Julian will be interviewed on an internet show which is called Build, and it's on April the 5th. It takes place in New York City at 692 Broadway, and it's actually going to be streamed live on the internet on that day, April 5th, at 11 a.m. And if you want to see this interview with Julian talking about the new book, and how important this whole cause is about teaching kids about the environment, you can go to buildseries.com. And there'll also be a, a book signing for Julian at the Barnes & Noble bookstore at uh, Union Square in New York City. That's on April the 6th, and that's at 7 p.m. Again, that's Eastern Time. And I just want to mention one thing, because last week on the show, we talked about the passing of Paul White, who was the top A&R guy for Capitol Records of Canada. Uh, at the time in, in the 60s when um, he was so supportive of the Beatles early on with their early singles and believed in them and made sure that Love Me Do was released as were their follow-up singles in Canada. We talked about Pierce Hemmingson, who's been a guest on our show. You can go back to show 220 to listen to our interview with Pierce because he put out a book called The Beatles in Canada talking about all that. And um, in that book, there was a CD with all kinds of rarities in there, covering clips of what was going on on Canadian radio at the time, interviews, DJs, whatnot. And Steve had asked me if um, the follow-up book, which is coming out, it's uh, the, either the end of this year or early next year, if uh, the CD for that was being sold at the Fest for Beatle fans. And Pierce actually wrote back to us, it was offered for free at the Fest, And that's for anyone who's reserving a copy of the Blue Book. There's another CD that'll be in the new book. And just like the first book, it's got all this rare stuff in it. Um, I did notice that there's a lot there on Live Peace in Toronto. There's an interview that Pierce did with Richard Lester discussing uh, John's appearance in How I Won the War. All kinds of stuff like that. If you like hearing, you know, broadcasts on the radio as it was heard in Canada on the Beatles... DJs talking about the Beatles and that kind of thing. 
Um, it's on this CD. And you can write to Pierce himself. His email address is pierce at hemmingson.com. That's P-I-E-R-S at hemmingson, H-E-M-M-I-N-G-S-E-N.com. Or through Twitter, his Twitter account, which is Beatles in Canada. And that's it. So there you go. Any other news? The only other news isn't really a Beatle headline or a Beatle connected story. Um, it's kind of half Beatle connected. Um, word today came uh, that Mike Harrison of Spooky Tooth died. Mike uh, Spooky Tooth, of course, uh, had uh, Gary Wright in it. So yeah. there's a little bit of a, uh, a Harrison connection there, but I don't know if there's any direct connection between Mike Harrison and the Beatles. But uh, yeah, right. if, you're, if you're a Spooky uh, Tooth fan. And, of course, Gary Wright doing a lot of work with George in particular. Right. And and Ringo as well. Um, yeah, sad to hear that news. And so, uh, with that, let's get to our main topic, in which we talk about George Harrison. And you might recall that a while back we did a show on John Lennon, just like the one we're about to do now, where we picked our five favorite solo John Lennon songs. And all the songs cannot be... It couldn't be any of John's hits. We're doing the same thing right now with George. And I'm sure at some time in the future we'll do one for Paul and one for Ringo. But uh, each of us have come up with a list of our five favorite George Harrison solo songs that were not hits. And we thought we'd discuss why they are our favorite songs. So why don't we start with uh, Alan? Okay. Um, are we doing all five at once? I guess we are. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not sure they're my favorite songs, because once you make a definition that says not the hits, you're automatically getting rid of certain ones that are going to be favorites. And seeing as I actually don't really pay that much attention to what's released as a single, if it's a single off the album, and don't really care that much about what is a hit... Um, I had to actually look things up and get things off my list. I mean, I would have wanted um, Any Road from Brainwash, but I see that was... I don't think that was even really a single. Um, I've seen it listed as a single, though, and I thought, okay, mm -hmm. fine, you know, got to take that off. Well, so, mm. by hit, I really mean a song that really achieved popularity as a hit. So it could have been could released... Be singles. It could have been released as a single, but if it wasn't a hit, it still counts? I suppose. Hmm. The whole idea really is to, to show an appreciation for lesser known songs. Okay. Yeah, I mean I when I went through my list there were there were a couple I saw that I ended up taking them off the list that had reached I think like number thirty on the charts. Um no actually I think I left one in. Um and I don't call that a hit, so Yeah. Okay. Um, well but, I got rid of the singles just for just to be safe. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. I wanna start with um a waiting on you all. But not the one from All Things Must Pass. I would choose the one from Concert for Bangladesh. To me, it's just a better, cleaner, easier to listen to performance. I, mean, I started off with the one on, on All Things Must Pass. Um, but I've really got to say, I mean, we talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago about the Spectre production. And really, it, it, I don't think it's worn well and waiting on you all, apart from having all of the sort of noisy wall of sound stuff, I, I just thought it was also not a great mix. I mean, I, I, I almost wanted to sit there with the faders and sort of you know, move things around. But the live one, I thought was just great. And um, not least because I was at the concert for Bangladesh and remember <laughs> how cool it was when he like launched into that. Um, you Rub know, it in. yeah, <laughs> it's good. well. I have to see something sometimes. You know, it's it's a great rocker. It's got great lyrics, funny lyrics sometimes. Uh, you know, I I still am wondering whether the Pope owned fifty one percent of General Motors. I rather doubt it. Um, <laughs> But, hey, you know, I mean, there's George talking about it makes you think. Um, Alan, can you talk just a little bit about about the concert, um, you know, seeing it and what it was like for, you know, for those of us unlucky souls that weren't there? <laughs> well, it was it was really cool. Um, you know, I, I remember. Uh, well, first of all, I almost didn't go. I had a fever of like 102. <laughs> 
and I was going to the evening show. And so we were beginning to hear reports about what happened at the afternoon show. So I already knew that Dylan turned up. And I was absolutely convinced that when you knew that Ringo was in the band, I was absolutely convinced that John and Paul were going to turn up. And so my doctor is there saying, no, you really should stay home. And I'm saying, there's no way I'm staying home. (laughs) So I went and suddenly felt completely better. (laughs) Uh, I do remember thinking after Ravi Shankar tuned up and everybody applauded, I, I, I did think that, you know, that wasn't a piece that was just tuning. And then Shankar confirmed that, um, and that bits on the album kind of enjoyed the Ravi Shankar set, but obviously everybody there was waiting for, you know, George and everyone. And I mean, when they came out, that was really, really sort of a trip. I mean, he had such a huge band of people with him and, uh, Clapton and Ringo and it, it just was really a thrill. I'm not sure I felt it was the best concert I had seen up until that point in my life um, because it did have a sort of, I, I don't know thrown together isn't exactly the right word but it, 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 it sort of had a thrown together quality which it had to have I mean they didn't have a long time for rehearsals and right. uh, you know um but nevertheless i mean listen if it was if it was really thrown together musically i wouldn't be picking this version of waiting on you all instead of the the album version uh but you know it just was you know you never you didn't know what was going to happen next i mean unlike today you know you go see paul you've already got bootlegs of the previous 20 shows and right. you know so you know what he's going to do and you know we didn't know what what George was going to do. He didn't know if John and Paul were going to turn up, um, knew Dylan was gonna, but you know, it, it just was, uh, it was what you would imagine it was really, you know? You so see, you didn't hear from anybody who was at the afternoon show. Um, well, we, we heard some news reports. We knew that, that John and Paul didn't turn up for that one, but that didn't mean they wouldn't turn up for the evening one because, right. you know, evening versus afternoon it's very possible it's going to be different um new dylan and was going to be it, there and it wasn't like and it wasn't like now where you know everybody tweet tweets things out and you know instantaneously that's right what happens you know i mean uh, in fact a lot of people there i'm sure there were a lot of people that went to that show that had no idea dylan was going to even show yeah you know, well, you know, in those days, we used to, like everything we went to. It was like Dylan's going to show. You know, Dylan's, we went to see the band in Central Park, and everyone is saying, "Hey, Dylan's going to show." You know, uh, and, and then the the band did a a, a, a semi Dylan imitation. You know, a little bit raspy on one of their songs, and it was, oh yeah, definitely Dylan's going to show. You know, so <laughs> so in a way, it was almost you know, it was almost a a running joke about. Dylan showing and but in this case we knew from the afternoon show that he did so mm-hmm. um, you know so there was that to look forward to and uh, yeah I mean I suppose it in the end it was a little disappointing that it wasn't a full Beatles reunion but I, I, I'm not sure what degree we really thought it might be you know we kind of right. were hoping but you know it was fine as it was it was great seeing Ringo sing um, you know don't come easy you know, really, the 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 set was it was just a great set. Well, you've heard the record, you've seen the film, right? And, um, so yeah. Were you a, surprised? Were you surprised what um, what Dylan songs were played, and also uh, Leon Russell appearing? Right. Yeah. Don't think I had a great feeling either way about Leon Russell. I think that was sort of more or less towards the beginning of my being aware of Leon Russell. Probably, I mm-hmm. don't know, but. You know, he sort of fit in really well. And, um, you know, the Jumpin' Jack Flash uh, was, was right. great. And uh, so, it, you know, it, it was a, it was definitely a special concert. Um, no question about it. A, a great thing to have seen. So mm. when I saw I went to a press preview in San Francisco, um, I can't remember the play. I mean, it was a big screen preview that included uh, some celebrities, including the, I remember seeing the Jefferson airplane walk in for that, but the reaction, the biggest reaction of anybody that night 
was given to Billy Preston. What kind of reaction did Billy Preston's performance get? I don't remember it being bigger than anybody else. Um, really? You know, I mean, everybody knew who he was, obviously. Um, you know, uh, he, he had a, a, a current or relatively recent hit, not to mention being on Get Back. Um, but, right. Um, yeah, you know, uh, just all around, it was like like everywhere you looked, there was a different, you know, person that you admired and whose records you had. So, right. Yeah. You know, so it was it was definitely this probably the starriest thing I'd seen up to that point, and in perhaps mm. all time. Um, but uh, I had seen, you know, not not too much earlier. The Stones came through New York in '69, and I, I thought, you know, on balance, the Stones show I thought was better than the concert for Bangladesh was. Mm. But it's a different kind of thing. I mean, one is a a one off thing that you have a little bit of rehearsal time for, and you throw together, and it's for a charity, and it's these incredible stars. And the other is a rehearsed concert set that's you know pretty much the same night after night and so by the time they got to New York because they started on the west coast i think um you know it was it was quite a lot more polished than the um early bootlegs sounded so mm. you can hear the difference Sometimes, if if you listen to yeah. um liver than you'll ever be versus uh you know the official live album you can hear the difference in the in oh the sure Oh, sure. Sometimes when I watch the DVD for the concert for Bangladesh, maybe it's the way the camera did the work, but it just seemed like that stage was so packed. It was with so many people. Did it look that way when you were there? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It, it was really packed. Um, but you know, people would move on and off for different things. But it was, you know, I, I remember just sort of looking down there and, you know, just trying to pick out everybody. You know, it was yeah, it was like that. Yeah. Once you add all the the background female singers and 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 all of Badfinger, you know, right, <laughs> everybody right. else. It's just so many people there on that stage. I don't know how they fit them all. So it was a big stage. <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So why don't we continue with the rest of your list? Okay. So. Um, I was nevertheless intent on having something from All Things Must Pass because I love the album. I produce differently, but I love the album. Um, and so I went with Beware of Darkness um, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I, I mean, he has a lot of messages that have been consistent through his career. And a lot of them are the ones that sort of either border on or are you know, square in the middle of his religious thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and I, I found that really interesting. Um, and, you know, everybody has their own ideas about religion or, you know, atheism even, you know, and people tend to get a little bit bothered by someone else trying to tell them about you know, what you believe, which is what George was doing. But, you know, actually, the stuff that he was saying was so interesting. And, you know, and beware of darkness could be any religion could say that, you know, it doesn't have to be the Hinduism that he was interested in. It, it, it could be anything. It's a, it's a message that makes sense. And it's a good lyric. And it's a good tune. Uh, and it was also, I think, a production that wasn't overdone on All Things Must Pass. So that was my second one. Actually, interesting. I've got seven here because um, I figured, you know, I never go first. And usually, um, <laughs> usually some of my five are taken by the time it gets to me. So, so I have to, uh, <laughs> let's see, let's go on to... Uh, uh, just give, give them all. What the hell? <laughs> I don't know. Um let me skip to That's the Way It Goes from Gontrapo. Hmm. You know, again, it's it's a great, catchy tune. I, I, that could have been a hit, I think. You know, he didn't really do a lot to promote Gontrapo and didn't, well, he made zero effort, let's say. But That's the yes. Way It Goes is a, is, a, is a pretty good song. And, um, you know, it's catchy. It, it's a great tune. It's well played. And... Uh, so, you know, I just like it. So it's on my on my list. Okay. As is, I'll 
skip to someplace else from Cloud Nine. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I chose someplace else. Um, also on this list of seven is Devil's Radio, but I'm skipping that one in favor of someplace else just because I feel like um, Devil's Radio is better known. And someplace else is one of those tracks that I think people don't often think that much about, but it's got a beautiful guitar intro. I mean, it was it was done originally for Shanghai Surprise, and then he redid it. It's one of those songs that, like many of George's songs, can be taken as a love song, or it can be taken as, you know, one of his love songs for God kind of thing. You know, I don't know how you found me, but, he, you know, well, here I am. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it goes a lot of interesting places. Um, again, that guitar intro, I think, is is just exquisite. Um mm. How many have I done? Four. Okay. And that leaves my last one, which is Marwa Blues from Brainwashed. Um, wow. And my rationale is a little bit similar. Again, I love the guitar playing on that track. And it's also just, you know, a, a beautifully crafted melody. I think it shows us, you know, it... it, it definitely has George's thumbprints all over it, and yet it seems to show us where he would be going if, you know, he had lived to do other albums after this. It's, it's uh, yeah, so those those five, I think, are, you know, I don't know if they're all deep catalog, if, if you know, anything by any of these guys is deep catalog these days, because I don't know what they're former Beatles but mm-hmm. uh, you know um, but so much solo music doesn't get airplay at all well that's so true. yeah yeah so you know and I, I think these are a lot of songs that um, people sometimes overlook and uh, are definitely worth um, hearing and, and they're among my favorites if not actual you know favorites which might include some of the things that were hits so that's my list mm. okay uh, do you want to include the other two? Okay. Um, if You Believe from George Harrison. All right. Uh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> uh, One of my know, favorites, too. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a, a another expression of his belief, but it can also be taken really at surface value. Uh, you know, if, there are things that, you know, even if you're an atheist, you sort of, you know, can look around and and not necessarily believe the the scope of things that happen and and you know things in the world. And you know, he's looking around, and uh, you know, but it's it's also you know for me, it's part of what has been a consistent message from him. And what was the other? The other was Devil's Radio. Uh, you know, and yet again, I mean, that's about gossip, and it's about it's a, it's about. Uh, you, you could argue that it is George hectoring people about their behavior, and you know, so what? He's entitled. I mean, he really has a point, and um, you know, as someone who's been in the public eye the way he has, he's had to put up with a lot of that, and uh, so. It's not a bad message, and it's in a song with a great beat and uh, a lot of energy. Uh, even if you're not even listening to the lyrics, I mean that song just rocks. And uh, I thought it was a a great choice, but you know, trying to keep it down to five, I went for someplace else instead on that one. It's both in the same yeah. album. Excellent choices there, and well said about. Uh devil's radio and if you believe which for me has always been a song about hope mm-hmm. and about achieving you know what you set yourself out to do and don't let depression get you down and all that kind that kind of stuff it's it's a song i turn to a lot from george yeah, yeah. so um and devil's radio could always be a contemporary song because let's face it there'll always be gossip right right <laughs> there'll always be irresponsible irresponsibility from uh, the media so uh, it can always apply, that song. And regular old people. <laughs> mm, true. <laughs> All right. Why don't we uh, hear the top five or more from Steve? Yes, there are. I, I do have a couple more, but I tried to limit it as, as much as I could. Um, 
Okay, starting with number five. Um, number five is All Things Must Pass. Partially because of the lyrics. Um, I really like the lyrics, Sunrise doesn't last all morning, uh, Cloudburst doesn't last all day. It seems my love is up and left you with no warning, but it's not always going to be this gray, all things must pass. Typical George, you know, positive outlook. Um I shouldn't say typical because he, he he can be he can be um, different, but in this case, it was it, it was a you know a beautiful sentiment. But the one the one of the reasons why I picked the song was because the Beatles did it, and as and I would wish that the Beatles had gotten around to finishing it, you know, and actually doing rather than just doing it during the Let It Be session. Um, and also there's Paul's version on the concert for George, which is a, a really nice, nice version. I really, I really like that. My fourth choice is Sue Me, Sue You Blues, which somebody, by the way, sent me a note uh, about the uh, Joey Self uh, show and said, that was nice that you did the uh, Sue Me, Sue You Blues show. <laughs> and and that's kind of, kind of stuck with me when, when they said that. But I mean, this is a great, it's a great song. It's, you know, George, George's, uh, sarcasm about uh, uh, you serve me and I'll serve you swing your partners all get screwed I mean another another instance of great lyrics there um, and you know I mean he was really going after the way things were with the Beatles at that time and this one did hit the charts but it was only number 36 so and, and I was we, no I was, no according to according that, to what I thought said that this, what, that song was never a single it said the information Who I said thought, that who said that? Well, it was Wikipedia for what it's worth, but uh, that's wrong. I don't know. I've looked at Wikipedia a lot, and the only single that ever came from "Living in the Material World" was "Give Me Love." Well, I don't think that was a single. It may have been the album that they were talking about. So I don't know. But in any event, number three, uh, uh, Alan and I both picked someplace else. Um, I, I really like. There, there's a lot of great songs on Cloud Nine. Someplace else is one of my favorites. Because of the um, the guitar work, I you know uh, actually the rest of my choices I believe are all guitar songs pretty much, but the, I love the guitar work. Also the the romantic quality of the lyrics. I mean that it's really it's really beautiful. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean it's just a, it's just a great song and um, it's one of my favorites on that album. My second choice. Uh, is Marwa Blues again uh, stealing another one from Alan? I swear, Alan, I I already picked it, but at least you guys, at least you didn't pick my first choice. Uh, Marwa Blues knocked me over the first time I heard it. I mean, I just love that song, and I was so glad to see that it got a Grammy Award for Best Pop Instrumental Performance. It, it's a just a beautiful song, and the guitar work there is just fantastic. So that's another, you know, another. Uh, reason why I like that. My number one song, however, if there is a, a George song that I and I'm not a, and I'm not what I would call a great guitarist, although I did I have played acoustic guitar uh, for I did play acoustic guitar for several years. I haven't picked one up recently, but if I could play, especially at the Fest for Beetle fans, if I could play this on stage, I would absolutely love to. It would be Cheer Down. Mm-hmm. I love Cheer Down. I love the slide guitar work. And I, I swear to you, I don't know why. Somebody explained this to me. That song makes my eyes water. It really does. It hits me emotionally. I love that that guitar solo, mm-hmm. especially near the end where he where he where he takes it up and gets really um emo- really strong with it with the solo. I just absolutely adore that song. Absolutely mm-hmm. adore it. And I, you I, know, for people who when it comes to George, may think that, well, most of the time, his guitar solos are usually very short, concise. Listen to Cheer Down, folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cheer that's... Down, the last two minutes is just him going on slide guitar. Right. You know? And that's so rare. I, I wish there was more of that, you know? Well, and, and that brings up a, a really good point that he was just a, he's an underrated slide guitarist. I think we tend to sometimes take his slide guitar for granted. But as someone who has played, you know, has played slide guitar, you know, as amateurish as I am, I mean, he was he was fantastic. He really he really was. I wouldn't I mean, you know, I mean, as far as slide guitar 
you know, people really, that... a really distinctive slide sound. I mean, oh, you, you, could, you could hear, you know, on, on any record, if it was George, you knew exactly who it was. And there were some sections, you know, to hark back to last week's show, there were a couple of things on Randy Bachman's album where I, I thought he got that sound for, you know, a short while. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is that George kind of invented that sound. Right. I'm not saying he invented slide guitar, obviously, but no. he had a sound that was so specifically his sound and so mm-hmm. identifiably his sound that, uh, right. you know, it was, it was, it's a really great thing when a musician has a thumbprint like that, you know. And as I, yeah. as I mentioned before, you know, after he passed, I put together, you know, little personal CDs of some of the songs that he guested on as a guitarist mm-hmm. and even and those you can hear it yeah i mean you know immediately that he's on there mm-hmm. and it's and that it, that just goes to what you're saying anyway my runner-up songs um were uh save the world partially because of the humor and and yeah uh, and uh, and also because you know it's kind of relevant now uh the, the lyrics on that thing mm-hmm. and then shanghai surprise the um the theme from the movie which i absolutely i absolutely love and i'm really sorry that he never put out a soundtrack to shanghai surprise Mm -hmm. that would have been i think that would have been a great album and it's it's too bad that he didn't do that i mean given all the problems that they had with with uh with uh, madonna you know on that movie uh you know i can see why they didn't but it's too bad that they weren't able to so yeah, how do you think he sounded with Vicky Brown? What do you mean? Oh, it's you mean the song? You know, I'm oh, surprised. I, I, I love that song. It's a great, it's a great song. But I, I mean, you don't you don't normally hear a duet with a female mm-hmm. with George Harrison. So that's that's a rarity right there too itself. Right. So how do you think the two of them sounded together? Oh, I think they sound great. I think they sound great. I think, like I said, I think that song is just fantastic. Um, I really do. Now, there's mm-hmm. something Olivia can do. You know, there's a bunch of film songs that are sort of orphaned. You know, he he plays in water as well. Um, they could get all those tracks together on, on a, a film album. Right. Kind of like that's my a... Paul McCartney film song idea. <laughs> right. There we go. That's a that's an excellent idea. Yeah, it, it is. Maybe we should get a hold of Olivia and tell her. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, you got to get the rights from each record company that put out the stuff. So well, there's anybody, the only complications. So. Anybody could, she could, but that's who knows. Anyway, go ahead. Ken. All right. So here's my top five. That is all, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the greatest love songs ever written. It's um, it's really something about that song. I mean, the lyrics are so simple. They flow together so well. The melody is absolutely exquisite. And, you know, I think that's probably and he's he's given us so many great love songs. It's really hard to pick which ones are the best. But that is all to me is a masterpiece. I love George's singing in it. I love his guitar work in it. The fact that uh, Harry Nilsson covered it, as did Andy Williams, Hmm. um, says a lot. You know, if you've got somebody like a Frank Sinatra, somebody of that caliber noticing a certain song that tells you something. Mm-hmm. I really wish that more people were aware of that is all. To me, that's his something of his solo catalog. And he's given us a lot of great love songs. Don't get me wrong. You know, if you happen to feel that your love is forever is just as good, I'm not going to argue with you. I love all these songs. So, um, yeah, that is all is uh, probably my favorite of George's solo songs. I'm a real sucker for love songs which uh, if you listen to this show on a regular basis and I list my favorites, you'll, you'll certainly get to know that. Speaking of love songs, uh, my number two pick is another obscure love song from George, Learning How to Love You, <laughs> which is the one that closes 33 and a third. I love that song a lot because the melody is so different. The chord progressions are so different. It really has kind of a jazz vibe to it. I can hear jazz covers of that song. And if you listen to the middle of the song when George does that acoustic guitar solo, that is absolutely exquisite, the guitar solo in that song. Very different song from him. 
certainly not a commercial sounding song, but beautiful in and of itself. Learning How to Love You. A song that has really um, become so important to me now. It's like songs that you appreciate so much more later than you did earlier on. This is kind of like the within you, without you of George's solo career for me is Be Here Now. Mm-hmm. Be Here Now is a very powerful song because it's just George and an acoustic guitar, very few words. In many cases, a measure of a song will just have one word or two words, like remember, two, three, four, now, two, three, four, like that. And when you have a song like that, it really drives home the message. It's emphasizing the words more, and it's kind of like a mantra. And the message is really simple, to live in the present, not to live in the past. Very powerful song. And the fact that it's just George and an acoustic guitar makes it even more intimate. And sometimes slow songs can be more powerful, like Within You, Without You is for me. But Be Here Now is definitely in my top five for that reason. Another song that has really risen through the years for me is Run of the Mill. So there's another case of a song from All Things Must Pass. And even though that's his most well-known album, along with, with Cloud Nine, I would say anyway, that's one of the least known songs from All Things Must Pass. And I love that song because of the lyrics. It flows very well, like poetry. And um, when you learn from what George said in I Me Mine that the song is kind of about Paul and the relationship they were going through at that time, it's it's a, a very powerful song in that way, but it can be a song that you can direct to anybody that you're having difficulty with in a relationship. And it's also very philosophical. Everyone has choice when to and not to raise their voices. It's you, to dis- it's you that decides. And when you hear the words, no one around you will carry the blame for you. No one around you will love you today and throw it all away. Tomorrow when you rise, another day for you to realize me or set me down again. You can understand how that's George talking about Paul at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful, and I like the syncopation in the song, which is very different and unique in the composition of the song. Um, syncopations when you have the beat at a different point. I don't really know how to describe it. You could probably do that better than I can, Alan. But when George sings, everyone has choice, then it goes when, to, when not to raise their voices. It's not a straight melodic line that way. It's just that um, the, the emphasis is not on the beat. It's kind of in between the beat. It's on, uh, if, if it were um, eighth notes, it would be on the second eighth note instead of the first. That's all. Right. Easy. So, but it makes it different, you know. But it's it's not a common thing. It's no, no. I I, I was just saying you, you you were saying that you didn't know how to explain it, so I was just kicking in there. Okay. We could bring Walter Rayford uh, back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I also put in. Sometimes I link two songs together here, but I love that's what it takes so mm. much from Cloud Nine. It's another great song with a great melody. You know that whole album. You know, you could say this about so much of George's solo work has such great slide guitar work. You were talking about um, Cheer Down before, the two of you. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned Marwa Blues, which has amazing slide guitar work, Mm -hmm. too. But um, I love the slide guitar sound, and that's what it takes. I love the production on the whole Cloud Nine album. The the slide guitar is so much in your face. And... um, it's a different song. It's an odd song. Gary Gary Wright contributed a little bit in there, which made it unusual. And um, you know, it's it's um, melodically, it's one that sticks out in my head. But at the same time, I like to sometimes point out great one-two punches on an album. And to me, it's hard for me to think about that's what it takes without thinking about Fish on the Sand, because mm-hmm. Fish on the Sand is such a great. It's got like a country and western type vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that could have been a hit single to me, uh, certainly in the 70s. I don't know if if it was a single at the time of Cloud Nine, if it could have worked, but it's really catchy as hell. So I, I really like to include Fish on the Sand there, and I love that repeated guitar part, the dun dun da 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 throughout the whole song, mm-hmm. and how it builds around that. So 
the fifth song is really a combination of those two. So I'm cheating there. <laughs> so if I had to add two more songs, I would definitely pick Your Love Is Forever, which is another great love song from George. And I love the whole feel of that album, which has like that tropical feel, kind of like on Tropo. Very soft, very laid back, lazy feel to it. And um, slide guitar work is just impeccable on, on Your Love Is Forever. And the other one is The Light That Has Lighted the World. Just for the message of that song, again, it's about people, he appreciates people who understand him. And again, it's about, I, I get the feeling, and I'll, although George did say he first wrote it for Cilla Black to record because it was more about a, a hometown girl that makes good and she becomes a, a big star and then the people from her hometown start to distance themselves from the star because you know they feel like she's not her own anymore it's kind of like if you made it in liverpool then all of a sudden you're in london and you're a big star or a world star it's like you know local boy makes good the resentment that comes from that from the people who were original fans of yours it started out being that song with that intent for Scylla black but when you related to george it could be more about he has become a person to himself. He's not just a Beatle. Don't think of him that way as though he's that guy from the 60s. There's more to him than that. He's grown as a person. And that's what I get from that song. I love the melody behind it. I love the piano work that's on it. Everything about that song. So those were my, well, seven favorite <laughs> George Harrison solo songs. Okay. Any comments on my picks? Yeah, all great picks. You know, this was a really hard... Um, I found this really hard to narrow down um, because there is really so much great George stuff. Um, I, I think I'm coming to appreciate the bulk of his work more and more as time goes on. And uh, I, I, I do wish Olivia would put out a bit more of it, but hey, you know, that's we've said that before. And... Uh, but just, you know, catching up with what's there, things that I didn't necessarily appreciate as much at the time. And, and I think that the idea here of, of avoiding the hits actually in, in a certain way helped focus on some of these uh, lesser known things. And I, I, I like your choices um, and for the reasons that you gave. I mean, that they were all really good songs and... Uh, but, you know, so much of his stuff stands up. I mean, there were so many things that I wanted to pick and were on the list for a while, but it had to get down to close to five. Um, Blood from mm. a Clone, you know, Blood from a Clone. Yeah. I, 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 the thing I love about that is not so much. I mean, I like the song, but I love the fact that that was his response to being told to make a more commercial album. Right. And, you know, and so many others, uh, you know, art of dying but um yeah there's just so much great stuff mm -hmm. yeah it's it, it sort of it, it sort of has taken on a life of its own and it stands up very well you know when we were talking about walls and bridges there was something about the sound of that that i was saying sounded a bit dated to me and i mm -hmm. don't hear that in any of george's stuff you know it it just uh it just still sounds pretty fresh me okay well i think you know for many of us a lot of what george said in his music you couldn't understand at a young age mm -hmm. it, it takes a certain amount of maturity to understand and relate to a, a lot of what he, he's written about and especially if you in any way have adopted any kind of spirituality in yourself then his songs take an even stronger more powerful presence in your life mm -hmm. so um and i found that with so much of the solo beetle music that i appreciate so much more now than i did when it first came out i can't really relate to the dated aspect that you bring up here because to me walls and bridges sounds the same as it always has to me mm. i don't just think it's a you know a 1974 album i think the production was superb i never had a problem with phil Spector's production Although, you know, when you when you love a person's vocals and there are times when George's vocals were buried with Phil Spector, mm -hmm. that kind of bothers me a bit. But when you've got a spiritual sound 
that you're trying to achieve. I think what Phil Spector brought to All Things Must Pass worked. Because like I said when we were talking about that album, it has really kind of a, a cathedral-type sound to it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in a church and you would want the full sound and the reverb and everything bouncing off, you got that in All Things Must Pass, and it was done very well in that regard. And then at the same time, I do like when you hear demos of George Harrison's music, and it's just him and an acoustic guitar. There's nothing quite like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I never look at any of that music as being dated in any way. I don't just think that's a 70s song or that's an 80s song. You know, mm-hmm. It's hard to figure out why... Lennon stuff would sound dated and and Harrison's wouldn't. I mean, they're you know, maybe it's because Harrison didn't go for. Uh, he didn't try to be anything more than what he was, if that makes any sense. I mean, he didn't try and he didn't experiment much uh, outside of, of course, electronic sounds. I mean, once he got into his solo years, I mean, it was basic. He basically went along the same lines, kind of like Ringo did. Ringo did the same thing. They I both... don't agree. I don't agree with that at all. So <laughs> I well, think George yeah. Harrison was, was very varied in his music, more so than people give him credit for. I mean, he's known for that guitar sound and the slide guitar sound and the spiritual stuff that he did and some of his poppier stuff too. But he also dabbled in a lot of different styles of music. Like, for example, you brought up Shanghai Surprise. He was doing Oriental-type stuff. That, Breath Away from Heaven, that was different for him. I don't, I don't know that I'd call Shanghai Surprise Oriental. I mean, he did use the, the, the gong and everything on the back of it, but he wasn't trying to be Oriental. He was trying to – that was the – he was setting up the, the song because of the movie. Uh, I, I don't think it has, was... it has an Oriental feel to it, and certainly Breath Away from Heaven does. Actually, if you read his liner notes for the reissue – um, uh-huh. He talks about it, 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 the intention was to make it sound oriental. Oh, okay, okay, I stand corrected then. I think. But, I, mean, I think what Steve was saying, um, it, you know, if I if I, I may be go ahead all wrong, ahead. but but the way I understood it was that um, whereas Lenin was much more aware and cared much more about what the current sound was when he was making an album and wanted to, at least in the mid-70s, try and make an album that was going to be current. I think George didn't care that much about that. Is that what you meant? Mm-hmm. That's probably, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's relatively true. I think that, I think that makes it, that I think that's closer to the mark, yeah. Sure. I don't know. I just think that John put out the kind of music that he was comfortable putting out for himself, but he wasn't really thinking that much about the sound of the time. Although we worked with people who were hot at the moment, like Elton John, you know, something like that. But production wise, I don't think he was thinking this must sound contemporary. He worked with Phil Spector because he admired Phil Spector for all the work he did in the past. Mm -hmm. But everything else that John did, he produced himself, you know, so... I'm talking about in the 70s. Right. So he had his own sound. I don't think he was trying to cash in on the sound of the times. You know? I, I don't know about cash in. I, I, I think he just wanted to sound current. You know, there's still his songs. There's still him doing it. They're, it's still going to be different than everybody else. But for instance, you know, you listen to a lot of the stuff on Walls and Bridges and that just sort of funky thing. I mean, it's not something that he did before it, it's something that and it's something that sounds to me very 70s ish um so i i think he was just more concerned with being current than george was you know george's attitude towards being current is if i don't like it i don't want to do it you know and mm-hmm. hence blood from a clone you know right mm-hmm. right okay all right the, the, the argument could also be you know, a lot of people like to point to a song like Wake Up My Love, which I happen to like a lot, but mm-hmm. it has that synthesizer sound. And some people who don't like that 80s synthesizer sound kind of felt that, you know, it's dated. Hmm. Although I don't I don't feel that way, yeah. but some people do, you know. So here's George trying to sound a little bit more contemporary at that time, maybe. Okay. <laughs> okay, so so um 
seeing as I'm totally happy to admit when my prejudices are prejudices, <laughs> let's just say that a 70s sound that I'm not crazy about sounds dated to me, whereas a 70s or 80s sound that I do like, like Georgia Synth sound there, doesn't sound dated to me. <laughs> well, you have I, a right to feel whichever way you want to feel. There you go. You know, to me, I, I just don't look at any of this as being dated because this music is constant for me. Hmm. It's not like I think of it as being from a certain decade and I put it aside and I hardly ever listen to it again. I listen to this music all the time. So it always sounds like, it, you know, it's part of my everyday life. So it doesn't sound like it's just from a certain era. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so is that uh, the end of our George Harrison discussion for the moment? I, I think so. So let's just give our, our listeners our contact information, beginning with you, Steve. Um, you can get a hold of me at BeatlesExaminer at gmail.com. Uh, you can... Uh, I have a Facebook Beatles page, Beatles News and Information. Um, the show you can get a hold of at Things We Said Today Radio Show at gmail.com. There's a Things We Said Today Beatles Radio Fans page on Facebook. There's a another Things We Said Today uh, Facebook page that is um, about the um, the Fab Four Radio. Um, Broadcasts on the weekends. They broadcast our shows on Saturday and Sunday. There's a uh, you can catch the you can download the shows from iTunes and Podbean.com. You can stream all of the shows at YouTube. Uh, again, just search for things we said today. Beatles Radio Show. We're all over the place. You can't. You, you'll you should have no trouble finding us. So okay, Alan, how about you? Probably the easiest way to get to me is on Facebook, either at Alan Cozen or my alter ego, Alan Cozen Remixed. Okay. And as for me, Ken Michaels, uh, just a couple of things on my website. As I tend to say in every show, there's weekly Beatles trivia. You can win one of nine prizes. I happen to have this week, as we speak, a trivia question that's really challenging. And I'm tying it in with Ringo being knighted. It has something to do with Ringo being knighted, and I'd be very impressed with anyone that gets the answer to this trivia question. So if you go to my website, KenMichaelsRadio.com, click on the Beatles Trivia and Games page, see if you can uh, figure out the answer to that, and you can win one of nine really great prizes. For anyone that wants to hear every little thing, there is a website in Germany called GlobalTexanChronicles.com. Click on my name, Ken Michaels, and there's a whole bunch of archived shows of mine for every little thing. So you can hear what that show sounds like. There's over 100 shows that I've done, all music shows with interesting themes. Uh, again, it's globaltextandchronicles.com. And since Steve mentioned Fab Four Radio, might I also plug that every little thing is on Fab Four Radio 2 on Sunday nights at 11 p.m. right before things we said today. So there you have it. All right. So this has been great talking about George Harrison, our favorite songs, as well as all the news that we covered. So for Steve Marinucci and Alan Cozen, this is Ken Michael saying thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Next time.